Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Thank you for tuning in again today. I would really love to meet all of you, the listeners, and I want to direct you to two ways that you can introduce yourself. Uh, One way is through recording a listener greeting to be featured at the beginning of this podcast. And if you go to our Instagram account, we do have a series of stories that walk you through how you do that. You just record a voice memo on your phone and you send it to us in an email. So it's pretty simple. And then another way is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Those mean a lot to me and it does personalize you all. On my end, all I can see is a list of numbers of how many people listen to each episode. I have no idea who you are and it is so much fun to have a name uh, to remember and to know just a little bit more about who the listeners of this podcast are. So if you feel so inclined, would really appreciate that. Today, I'm interviewing a woman named Janet Oakwin, and Janet hosts the podcast called Joyful Journey, and it is a women's podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about anxiety and even touching on depression. So very relevant topics, and especially one that I believe women engage with more. And maybe this is something that you deal with on a daily basis. So my desire is that you will walk away from this conversation freed up to smile at the future. So here is my conversation with Janet. Hello, Janet. Welcome to the podcast. I have been looking forward to this day and I want the listeners to understand why. So can you start us off today by sharing about yourself, where the Lord has you in life and ministry, and about the podcast that you host? Oh, absolutely. Uh, My name is Janet Oakwin, and I am from Lafayette, Indiana, Purdue country, and have the privilege of working with our women's ministries, and am one of the counselors um, for our church and certified through, it's called ACBC Association of um, Certified Biblical Counselors. So I do get the privilege of working with a lot of women. And you mentioned my podcast. We just in January launched a podcast uh, with a co-host. Her name is Jocelyn Wallace. It's called Joyful Journey Podcast, joyfuljourneypod.com. But that just came as a result of counseling a lot of women and wanting to help women understand theologically um, that theology is not academic. Um, Our tagline is when you're choosing truth, you're choosing joy, because we really believe that. And so we, you know, through COVID had some extra time as well and decided we wanted to get this launched. And we've been going every other week since January. Um, And I am a recent empty nester. So a new season for my husband and I, we are doing a little more traveling. He's a president of our seminary. So we get to travel and speak on behalf of the seminary. And it's a whole new season. I got to be out there in California in June in your area. What a beautiful place. So that was very fun. Fun. Well, that's neat. You're able to still travel even in the midst of all the crazy, the interesting travel regulations right now. Well, today's discussion on anxiety and depression was actually recommended by a listener, and it's very relevant, speaking of COVID. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I've noticed an upswing of Christian podcasts covering this issue, and it was after hearing you discuss this on your podcast that the light bulb went off, and I knew that you were the one to speak to this issue on um, the Smiling at the Future podcast. So we're going to start with just a preliminary question here. What is the difference between worry and anxiety? I love that you're asking that because I am finding more and more defining our terms is so important um, because someone else might mean something different by it. So I will tell you what I mean by that. Worry 
an over-anxious concern about the future. When the Bible tells us not to worry, it doesn't mean don't think about the future, don't try to plan, uh, but an over-anxious concern. And one of the ways I know it's over-anxious, it will keep me from fulfilling my responsibilities today. It can be almost paralyzing. So that's when I think of what is worry. Anxiety is frequently what I feel as a result of my worry. Um, it's a, the physical response to worry in some way. At least that's when I talk about anxiety. That's how I'm defining it. Either that low grade, something's not quite right, or a panic attack, or anything in between that you feel as a result of your worry. That's really good. I've heard um, Martin Lloyd Jones describe worry, or the essence of worry is the absence of thought, <laughs> a failure to think, or at least to think rightly. Um, especially as Christians, we can roll our burdens onto the Lord and we need to, you know, have the mental discipline to practice that right thinking. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So for someone that's struggling with depression or anxiety, what are some of the signs that you might be able to identify that struggle? I would say, you know, because there's also just sadness. I think sometimes we think, if I'm sad, that's wrong and I'm depressed. And so depending on, again, what we mean by the words, there's nothing wrong with being sad for a sad circumstance. Sometimes when we think about I'm depressed, should I be concerned? Well, maybe when there's not a reasonable explanation, has there been a death in the family? You're sad. Or if it's just this low grade, I don't care about anything and I really can't say it's because this has happened and I need to rest and think through it. It's just this low-grade nothing. I think with depression, especially, it can feel very paralyzing. So when I realize I can't do my responsibilities, I can't hardly get out of bed, I just can't function, a lot of times that's a depression. Um, if, uh, signs of anxiety, quite frankly, I looked up at this anxietycenter.com. That's always a dangerous thing to do, but I did. And I got this whole list of symptoms, all of which I was like, at some time or another, I've had all of these. So these symptoms don't have to mean anxiety, but they can. You know, when I have a headache, I could have a migraine because there's something biologically wrong. I could be stressed. I could be anxious. But there's a whole list of, so, but if I'm having symptoms, um, headaches, or just this um, impending doom fear, feeling or the pit of my stomach is just upset or a weakness or I can't rest and I can't sleep and I can't pinpoint I see why that may be an indicator that I'm struggling with something a little more than just I'm sad and maybe I'm going to need a little bit more help. That's good. I've also been, you know, just reading up about this and I think one thing that John MacArthur talks about in the book, Anxious for Nothing, which I would recommend to the listeners, is how anxiety and depression can, it can be a sign of someone who's not very humble or is struggling with pride, which I never really saw that connection. You know, it says, humble yourselves. And then a little while later in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And it really starts by humility, humbling yourself, when you humble yourself, it's the ability to truly hand over all your cares to God and not try to white knuckle them and fix them yourself. So that might be one way to also kind of self-diagnose as where are you with humility and pride? And are you just trying to control your life and your circumstances? Or are you willingly and humbly submitting to the Lord's will and handing those to him? Yeah. David Pallison wrote, an article once called Quieting a Noisy Soul. And when I think about anxiety, a noisy soul, and he based it on Psalm 131, which goes exactly with what you just said. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. I don't involve myself in matters too great for me. There's the humility. But the proud person is basically saying, I involve myself in every matter. I try to control it all. And as a result, I do not have a quiet soul because he says, um, I don't concern myself in matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. I think, oh, that's like the opposite of anxiety. But it's because I'm not involving myself in matters too big for me. Those are gods. 
and my heart is not proud. So you're right. When my heart is proud and my eyes are haughty and I'm involving myself in all these, I got to control. I got to make sure this doesn't happen. I have to make sure this does happen. Then there will be a lot of anxiety. Thank you, Janet, for bringing it back to that psalm. For the listeners who maybe there's people out there that are saying, well, I I really don't struggle in these areas, but um, I want to come alongside somebody who does and be able to encourage them. Is it better to listen or counsel when a friend comes to you that is anxious or depressed? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would say both. I I think uh, definitely Proverbs 18, 13, um, a staple for us as counselors. If you give an answer before you hear, it is folly and shame. So I think the temptation is to just immediately start counseling or teaching and you really don't know until you've listened a lot because I don't understand. I don't know why. And it's easy to make assumptions, but I do think if we really understand the heart behind worry, what the Bible calls worry, it's difficult for me to believe that we don't all struggle with it in some ways. It just might look different. Um, But I think, yes, first listen, listen, listen. And then I think of second Corinthians one, four that says, who comforts us, God, in all of our affliction so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. So the fact that I understand the comfort and the character of God, I can comfort someone else even if their affliction is different than mine. But I do need to listen, listen, get understanding, don't assume. And I I find, I hear my husband saying this in my head sometimes because he's had to tell me this before. Did they ask what you thought? Or did you just start sharing? So if somebody's sharing with me, I should not assume that means they want counsel. I need, I need to ask. So I'm going to pray for you. Would you like me to share some things that I think might encourage you? So I don't assume that they want that and just start attacking somebody with truth. So I would do a lot of listening, suffer with a sufferer. We, we all have things we're suffering through and a lot of compassion, a lot of listening asking to pray, not for them later, pray with them right then. You need the Lord's help and I want you to have that. And then I ask for permission. And most of the time they'll say, yeah. And then it's not so much of talking at them. Because if I understand the heart of worry, I'm a fellow traveler, even if mine looks different and maybe I don't worry about the same thing, but that doesn't, I can, I can relate on the level of uh, treasuring things that I could lose. Um, And then I can be a fellow traveler, not above, but I can lock arms with them and help point them to the cross. That's really neat. And maybe asking questions to draw them out if they maybe are having a hard time articulating what it is that is causing the worry or anxiety. And that's all part of listening is also asking questions. And that's exactly right. Because a lot of times they'll say, I don't even know why I feel this way. And they're not lying, but there is something. So then it's being able to say, well, when did it start? How often does this happen to you? And um, well, what are you thinking right now? And sometimes it's just talk me through your day and they'll know when they hit the point of whatever it is they're worrying about. Um, I do that when I self-counsel and I'm like, I'm anxious about something. I don't even know what. And then I start thinking, what in the world? I don't even know what's wrong with me, but there's this thing in the pit of my stomach. I know I'm anxious. Lord, I'm not sure. I'm not aware of anything. And then I start thinking about it, think about my day. And then I think, oh, that's it. I don't want to make that phone call. I'm afraid she's going to be mad at me. That's my people. Please. Now I know what it is. Now I know what to do. Well, that is that is thinking constructive, helpful thoughts instead of the type of whirlwind thoughts that anxiety can produce talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Okay, so... I'm going to move on to the next question here, unless there was more you wanted to share on that. No, I think the only thing I would say, if because I mentioned that if we understood what worry was, we would realize most of us struggle with it in some way. So it would probably be kind to tell you what I mean by that. <laughs> I realized I didn't really explain that. But the passage that most of us go to when we think about worry is in Matthew 6, where in verse 25, it says that we're not to worry about anything. But if we actually start back in verse 19, you find out the things that cause us to worry. And and when we think through that biblically, that's when I would say, 
I have yet to meet the person, and myself included, that doesn't struggle with this in some way. It just might not look the same as somebody else's. But in Matthew 19 or 619, don't store up treasures on earth. Well, why not? Well, moths can get in, rust can destroy it, thieves can steal it. So if you think about it, that's a lot to worry about. It can be destroyed. It can be stolen. There is no guarantee for if so, if I'm going to store up my treasure on earth, I have to worry because there's no guarantees. I might not ever get what I want. What if I got it and then I lost it? There's just, there's a lot to worry about. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. Why? Where, where moth and rust don't come, thieves don't break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think about, okay, and someone may say, well, I don't struggle with money. What do I treasure? What do I invest in? Where do my energies go? Where do my thoughts go? If they're going to heavenly bound things, I wouldn't worry. I'm not ever going to lose God's love. I'm going to be with God forever. He's never going to change his mind. But when my treasure is, I want you to like me, Christy. I want to make sure that other people are impressed by me. And if I am treasuring earthbound things, well, of course I'm going to worry because what if you don't? I can't make sure you do. What if you like me today, but you don't like me tomorrow? And it's exhausting. I, I say that because I'm, that's one of my besetting sins. So, <laughs> and I think so the Lord allowed me to be a counselor where I'm frequently telling people things they don't want to hear. That's hard, but that's good for my soul. Uh, and I, but that when I read through that and then he says, don't worry because God's going to take care of you. It says he takes care of the sparrows. He's going to take care of you. Um, oh, you of little faith. So when we understand that worry starts from having treasures that are earthbound, I've yet to meet the person that doesn't struggle in some way with some earthbound treasures, whether we worry about someone's physical safety, whether we worry about relationships, whether we worry about our job or our reputation or our security, whatever it is, where I tend to put my treasure is where I will worry, which then just allows me to know where I need to be repenting and moving it back to God, which is a lifelong process. <laughs> yes. Okay. So my next question here it's so much easier when you're feeling anxious to find a way to escape through social media or some other distraction, entertainment. I feel like those are kind of the go-tos for many people. Can you talk about why this is unhealthy and if there is a connection between laziness and anxiety? What an interesting question. Laziness and anxiety, because yes, I do think there is. In the last passage that I just talked about in Matthew 6, we talked about earthbound treasures. So a, a shorthand way of saying that would be idolatry. What are the things that I'm worshiping other than God? So that can lead to worry. In the end of that same passage, he says, oh, you of little faith. So my unbelief leads me to worry. And the good news there is we know what to do if, it's, if idolatry is wrong worship. We know that we need to move that to right worship. We know that if my worry is coming from I don't believe, I'm afraid God won't take care of me then I can move that to trust and, and I know how to work on that. But this is an interesting thing that you would say, well, what about laziness? And yes, I do believe there's a connection. And in Matthew 25, there's actually the parable um, of the three servants, the, the, the talents. And a lot of you probably know this story and I don't, we won't get into all of the um, ramifications there, but talks about a man who went away on a long trip and gave five talents, two talents and one talent to different servants the first two invested them, made money. And the third one says he was afraid. And so he hid it. But what's really interesting to me is that this, the servant says, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it. And it's so interesting how the master responds because that fear, we could call that an anxiety or maybe worry. I was worried that I'd lose it and you'd be upset with me. And the master does not say, you fearful slave, he says, you wicked, lazy servant, which is really interesting. It's like lazy. What are you talking about? We weren't talking about laziness. We were talking about fear and worry. Uh, but his laziness led him to not even doing the reasonable thing by putting it in the bank. Because at least he says, if you knew that about me, why didn't you at least do that? So I think a lot of times 
uh, our anxiety and our worry can come from laziness, not doing the things I, I need to be doing. And it will lead to worry. I mean, if you, and then when I thought about, thought that through after reading that, I mean, it makes sense. It's a lot easier to worry than to do something. I'd rather wake up in the morning and worry about why I don't have money than to keep looking for a job when it's hard. So it's easier. And then at some point, I'm paralyzed by it. So take that back to the social media. Um, if I'm finding a way to not think by distracting at some, that that's my laziness of, I don't want to think through this. I don't like hard things. I don't want things that cause me energy. I will just distract until I'm so tired I fall asleep. And then I wake up and now I have even more to worry about because I didn't get done what I should have gotten done last night. And then the spiral goes down. So I, it's interesting when you think about social media and all the things that we do, and we call them the things that we do to amuse ourselves. And I had a friend once say to me, do you know what the word amuse means? Ah means not, and muse means think. To amuse means to do something so I'm not thinking. That's the whole point of an amusement is to not think. And I think when we, when that's my go-to as my escape, I'm, I'm doing the exact opposite of what God's told me to take all my thoughts captive. And I'm saying, I will just not think. And yes, I think that will lead to even more worry, but it's something we all have to battle. Um, that makes me think of something that Elizabeth Elliot said of just do the next thing. You know, when she was in some really difficult times in her life, it was, you know, she couldn't just sit there and think and be anxious and worried about her life. She just, you just do what, what's in front of you, what the next thing that God has called you to do you faithfully follow through and you do that, whether it's the dishes, whether it's, you know, taking care of somebody else. And that in a way is, is a helpful distraction because at least it's a distraction off of yourself. <laughs> it's loving somebody else. Yeah. And it's productive. You know, I, I think, and when I'm counseling someone who's really in a severe depression, that's the, a lot of times it will be okay tomorrow. You need to get up and do the dishes. Just do one thing. Because at some point you get so paralyzed, it does feel hopeless and helpless. And I know that. So then it's, it, I think she's exactly right. Just do the next thing. And you may not be able to do everything, but just being, we were designed to be productive. So when I do something that's productive, um, God honors that. And even just the action of doing that will help with that depression. You're, you're reversing the cycle. So that's excellent. Yeah. It, it, I, I just so relate to that. I'll, I'll have, you know, I'm a to-do list person. I'm a doer. I'm not a la I don't really have a lazy bone, but even sometimes I'll just neglect or not prioritize the right things. And they can be staring me in the face for a long time because maybe they're harder than the easier thing of like, well, it's a lot easier to clean my house than to like study for the next podcast. So I'm going to do that and put all the focus in the wrong place where if I had just disciplined and sat down for an hour and knocked that next project out for the podcast, that load would be lifted and it wouldn't be hanging over my head. Everyone knows that feeling. Oh, absolutely. And I get it with podcasts. I absolutely get that because it never ends. You're never done. There's another one to do. Yes. Yeah. And that, that could be also the procrastinator in me coming out too. <laughs> I'm sure most of us can relate to. Well, I've told people my form of laziness is very busy. But when you define laziness as not doing the right things, I am a lazy person, but I'm very busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boy, the, somehow those, those priorities always seem to get usurped. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. All right. Can you give some practical examples of thought patterns that women might have and how those can spiral out of control? Oh, I'm sorry to say that's incredibly easy because I'm, I've done most of them. Yeah, we worked for years with college students. So when I think about this, I, I think in a couple of different categories. I'm going to share one from my own life and then one that was pretty typical for the, for the young women that I used to serve with. But Think about it in terms of a situation happens and then how does an expert worrier handle that versus how we should handle it? So 
I can give one from my own life when we had not, we, we were married, I don't know, seven years or so. And two young kids at home, they were in bed on Monday nights. My husband counsels until nine o'clock. We were, we are half a mile away from the church. So in my mind, I've been with the kids all day. I'm exhausted. I'm ready to see an adult. Um, and so he should be home at probably, I don't know, nine Oh five. I'm giving him five minutes, which I think is incredibly gracious. So I'm watching the clock. I'm watching the clock. And here's what I know is that it's nine 20 and he's not home. That's all I know. I wonder if he's okay because he's usually home by now. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to call. And so this literally happened. I called the church office. Nobody answered. Well, that means they should all be done counseling and we're only half a mile and he's not here. So I waited what I felt like was forever. It was probably two or three minutes. And I called again. There's no answer. So in that time, here's what my mind has time to do. All I know is that it's now 925. That's all I know. But an expert worrier, he should have been back. I wonder where he is. I hope he didn't run out of gas. I wonder if he had a car accident. Did he have his wallet on him? Would I even know? If he had a car accident, there's not many people that go on that road. How long would he lay in a ditch before somebody would tell me? If he was like permanently disabled, how would we even have income? If he's laying in a ditch, if he he may not even be alive right now. But all I know is that he's late. But we can go there. And what does that and and I'll and well, I'll give the right way to think about that in a little bit, but what if I just shared where my treasure is? It's not I where was God in any of that? It's strictly, I need to make sure something bad doesn't happen. And when that's my earthbound treasure, I, well, I'm going to worry. Um, so college girls, where did I see this with the singles that I would talk to? Many of them were interested in having a relationship. And so if they, if they are now in a new relationship and they're texting and they text and, you know, that's a big thing. It's not for me and my husband, but it's a big thing for them. <laughs> and, and now it's, I texted. And he didn't text back. So now that's that's the situation. That's all we know. You sent a text. He did not respond. That, those are the facts. Expert worrier. He usually does right away. I wonder if he's mad at me. What could I have said that upset him? I'm rereading all of my texts. Is he getting bored with me? Oh, my word. I can just picture him rolling his eyes. I so hate. I wish I hadn't even sent that text. That was stupid. I bet I'm coming on too strong. I bet he's upset with me. I bet he's mad. Maybe I should text again and apologize for texting him so much because he's probably really mad. And all that's happened is he hasn't responded. But what am I treasuring? I don't want to lose this relationship. Again, where is God? Why wasn't I thinking in my first scenario Brent's usually home by now. If he's not home, he could probably use my prayers for whoever he's talking to. Or the guy that didn't text me back, I don't know what he's up to. He's probably busy. But when I'm worrying, I can, I go back through all of that again. You know, in the first one, where did you see the unbelief? And I'm worrying about where my husband is. I'm not trusting that God's going to take care of my husband. I don't need to know where my husband is. I don't need to be in control because God is. So there was unbelief there. So my idolatry, I need to know that there's not going to be pain and hard things in my life. I need to know that nothing bad is going to happen to these people. Some laziness. I'm not taking my thoughts captive. I'm letting them go wherever they want. And then, and then I let my imagination run wild. And I always tell this to ladies. We think I just want to be prepared. I, I hear that. I'm not worrying. I'm just wanting to be prepared. Just in case, I want to prepare my mind. And here's what I have to tell them. God does not give you grace for your imagination. You don't have God's grace for things that have not happened. I don't have God's grace for my husband being in a ditch because he's not in a ditch. But if he is one day, I'll I'll have God's grace then. So the way you prepare is not to worry. You prepare by abiding close to Christ so that whatever happens, you're ready. How about the one that is thinking about her boyfriend. How about I'm just going to think about, I believe God, if God wants this relationship to make it, it's going to make it. And I'm not going to idolize a relationship. I'm just going to think about what's best for that person. And then you find out later they were in a staff meeting and they couldn't respond right away. Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. So it's so easy for it to get carried away. And I've talked with a lot of women who've just said, that's just how I am. I'm a worrier. 
Well, I'm a whole lot of things that are not right. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't have to stay that way. If you're someone who's been enslaved to worry your whole life, the great news is it does not have to stay there. God has answers for that. And um, as you grow to say, what is it I'm not believing about God? How can I start to work hard instead of being lazy? And how can I learn to worship only God and not some of the good gifts? You really can grow to be freed from being enslaved to worry and anxiety. Mm. Wow. And it does feel like you're enslaved to people who are stuck in those patterns. It is. Um, It's a very hopeless place to be. As women, we deal with hormonal ups and downs um, that can lead to anxiety and depression. And especially uh, women who are postpartum are going to feel this. So how do you navigate the physical problem with the spiritual aspect? I know it's easy for women to dismiss sin and blame it on hormones. So it's a delicate topic. How, how would you encourage women with that? Yeah. And I, it is delicate. Um, I would never try to say that our hormones don't have some impact on our emotions. Uh, The great thing is just because I'm feeling something, I don't have to live out of that. So it's actually helpful if I can, and I can't always figure it out, but if I can figure out, I lost three children before I had my son. So after one of the miscarriages, yeah, obviously very emotional, but also I think just the hormones that were going on through that, you know, my husband is also a counselor. So we're all about think through what's going on and help each other and, and I would just be crying, doing dishes. And then I'd just start crying. And he'd look at me and it's like, what are you thinking? How can I help? And then when we realized, I'd be like, honey, I really wasn't thinking anything. Like truly. He learned, okay, with what's going on with her hormonally, I start to cry. He would look at me and say, is there something you need to talk about? Or do you just need a hug? Like, which one is it? So I get that that's real. But it's never an excuse to sin because I'm not just an emotion. But it's not a sin to cry. So I was crying. That's fine. But if I'm now getting anxious and I'm telling my husband, we can't do this. No, I can control my thinking, but it may be harder. And I would love for the people around me to show me grace and have patience while I work at that. But I do have a big God and the spirit of God. And the beautiful thing is I can acknowledge that there's feelings going on inside of me. And then I still don't have to act out of it. For instance, I have told people, I, I have, I'm kind of at the end, I think, near the end of menopause. It's a beautiful thing. It's like puberty backwards. And, and if you remember puberty, all the emotions. And now I told my husband, and this is this is two or three years ago now. And we realized a lot was changing for me. And uh, I told him, I just, I'm not sure what's wrong with me, but I'm angry. Like angry at stupid things. And he said, well, what do you mean? I I was in the car and the light turned red and I was viscerally, physically angry at the light as if it was a personal attack on me as a, I'm like, what in the world was that? So I felt it. And then it was, I was mad. Like I wanted to yell at the light, which I don't, I don't know. That was weird. I don't typically do that. So I was telling him that. And I'm like, I know that's not right. I don't know what's going on with me but I need to figure this out. And he said, well, how long have you noticed that? So oh, probably two or three days, I've just felt this. Ugh. And then I finally realized, I said, why do you ask me that? And because I've noticed it for three months. And I said, are you kidding me? And he said, I figured it was probably menopause. And I was just showing you a lot of grace. And we talked about it. And I said, but it's not okay. So I'm, I just need your help. So I appreciate the grace. So on the one hand, Sure, compassion that these things are going on, but that's not an excuse for me to be short and snarky with everybody around me. So if I'm aware, then I can make a choice to go against those emotions. So, uh, and so then I have to ask the Lord, okay, is this coming from a sinful anger because I'm sinfully angry because I have an idol that I'm, you know, something I'm worried about? Or is this just, I can't give you a reason why I feel this way? but I don't have to act this way. I can still be. And so I told my husband, can you help me to know when I'm starting to do that? Because I, I'm not always, obviously I'm not always even aware. 
Um, so do I think those things? Yeah. I call it a magnifying glass on my sin because I'm not convinced it creates sin in me that was never there. But I do believe it's a magnifying glass. So when the hormones are changing, it's a magnifying glass. So something that might have just made me go, oh, well, is now like, ah! you know, and something where I might have gone, well, that's kind of sad. I'm sobbing. But to go, okay, I know that. And now I really need to be abiding close to Christ. And now if I need extra rest, know the limits of my body. Don't try to think I have the capacity I don't have. If I need extra sleep during that time, take it. If I need extra time with the Lord, take it. If I need time crying out to God more, take it. But I don't, I am more than my emotions. So wonderfully, I don't have to respond out of that, even when that's real. And sometimes you're just biting your tongue and and maybe it'd be helpful to not be around people at certain times or just go take a walk or there's been moments like that for myself where I'm like, I don't trust my mouth right now. <laughs> and I just need to remove myself from people that I could potentially hurt and, you know, flee that temptation to an extent. But yeah. And then go spend time with the Lord. What's going on inside of me right now? Like, why is all this happening? And normally there's a kernel of something that I am sinfully upset about. And then because of the hormones and everything else, it's out of control. But then there's still that kernel I need to deal with because then there'd be nothing to get out of control. So yes, get away from people, do what I need to do, and then be able to have, If it's great if there's a friend or someone in your life that you can have that conversation with that can help you think, because sometimes it's hard to think, but absolutely getting away and getting some time with God. And avoid making any major life decisions during those times or having any difficult conversations. Just be be aware of how that affects your, your mental capacities and be wise. And, you know, to your point on pride and humility, there is a humility to saying, I have limits. And right now for me to do this would be uh, arrogant because I'm not, I'm not able to do that right now. Yeah. I loved how you use the example of the magnifying glass. And my mom has used a similar example. She just explained it as, you know, there's certain things just simmering kind of in the background, maybe, you know, subconsciously, but it's a mercy of God to bring a bubble it up all to the surface so you can scrape it away. Yes. That's why I say the Lord. That's menopause is my, it's bringing everything to the surface. And I thought, I never thought I was an angry person. Look at me like being mad at everything right now. Okay. This is something, there's a kernel there that I've got to deal with. So yes. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come from the outside in. It's like, you know, we know that all evil proceeds from the heart and it is so kind for the Lord to show us those things so we can root them out. It's all in there. We're just discovering it in different scenarios or situations that God puts us in. So it didn't just, you know, end up there all of a sudden today. It's been there all along. <laughs> right. Yes. So when should someone reach out for help, for counseling, and who should they go to if they're really battling with anxiety and depression? When is it right to do that? Well, I mean, earlier rather than later. It's wonderful. I pray that many of us have a community where that's just part of our friendships. Um, where we wouldn't have to call it necessarily getting counseling, though I, we too, but being able to have friendships where I know my tendencies somewhat, I know their tendencies, and we can help each other. Okay, I think your thinking's getting the better of you here. You're spiraling. I had a friend who used, she was in a very difficult situation, and she would text me and say, remind me of the truth I know. Because you know, when you're battling the anxiety and the depression, it's hard to think. So if, if you've got a community around you, a, another act of humility, acknowledge, you just need some help to think. Because um, I would tell my friend, you know, I know you know these truths. I don't want to be condescending. Like, And she's like, no, 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 no. I have a hard time. I can't think right now with everything going on. And I'm like, okay, I'm happy to do that. So I would text, you know, this is what God thinks of you. This is, you, you know, what, where he is, you know, that he's good. You know, that all he asks you to do is be faithful. He doesn't. And so the things that we can just help each other that way, but when it's paralyzing, when it's lasting, when you have loved ones that are expressing concern, um, take that seriously. 
that they're concerned about you, when it feels enslaving, when you're just thinking, I can't, I'm not able to even by going to the word and praying, it's like, I don't even know how to think. I was just talking to a friend recently who said to me, I don't even know what to think right now. Like, okay, so tell me what's going on. And then we talked about at the end, do you want me to give you some things to think about? Or do you think, and she's like, I think I need you to do that. Okay, we can do that. Um, There are some good books to read. And you mentioned the one, Anxious for Nothing, Elise Fitzpatrick's Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety. Excellent book, but a biblical counselor would be ideal. And that is someone who is committed to the sufficiency of scripture. So I always tell women, start with your pastor and, and give him the opportunity to shepherd you. He is your shepherd and ask him if he can help you. Someone who's committed to the sufficiency of scripture, and he may recommend someone else But there is an organization, ACBC, uh, which is biblicalcounseling.com. You can go there and look for one in your area. But I do encourage people to start with their pastor, uh, with who knows them, who is shepherding them, and will give an account for them, give them the privilege and the opportunity to to help you. That's really good. I had a a godly person tell me every Christian should be in counseling. (laughs) And that just blew my mind. I just thought, what? Really? Like I, you know, my thinking is you don't go to counseling until you have big issues or relationship issues or something, but how it can be a preemptive strike also to catch thought patterns and sin before it grows and manifests into something really ugly. So you should, I mean, and that's what the body of Christ is, you know, fellowship with other believers. We're confessing our sins one to another. We're edifying each other. We're building each other up. So that is how God designed the church to function. And you could call that counseling. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be someone who has a degree necessarily as someone who knows the word, but ACBC is excellent. I actually recommend people to them almost daily. (laughs) I work for a Christian ministry. We get a lot of phone calls. And so they have um, a website and they have counselors all across the U.S., but I do appreciate how you shared about bringing the needs to your pastor because he is the one responsible before the Lord for your soul. You know, he'd probably refer you to somebody else. I know at least in my church, that's not really possible <laughs> with the, the size of eight to 10,000 members, but there are plenty of people that are there qualified to counsel. For On staff at church, sure. Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's always help. And I think comes back to that humility of acknowledging that you can't do it yourself and you need assistance and someone to, like you said, link arms with you and walk with you through a trial or through a sin or or what, whatever you're struggling with. So you need to come to that place where you're willing to acknowledge that you need help. Um, and I mean, as Christians, that's what we all are saying in essence is we are so sinful and flawed. We need a savior. So yeah, so that's not too far from, you know, acknowledging that we need a savior and now acknowledging we need other brothers and sisters to help us walk this walk. Okay, so next question, another delicate one. Is it wrong for Christians to take medication for anxiety or depression? I do get asked that. And I, I, the first thing I'm going to say is I'm not a medical doctor. So I, I don't ever encourage women to get on or off of medication. That's not mine. I do encourage anyone research the side effects. Uh, a friend of mine who's a medical doctor and talks with people about that will tell them, just make sure that the side effects are not worse than what you're taking it for. Because there are side effects for everything. So make sure that you know it. Make sure you're doing it under a doctor's supervision. But when I work with people, I can honestly say I don't even believe I need to have an opinion on everything. You know, I don't have to tell someone, I believe you should be on medicine. I believe you shouldn't be. I can say to them this, whether you're on medication or not, God wants you to live your life in a way that honors him. And I can help you do that. So if your thoughts are idolatrous, if you're worshiping the wrong things, if you're not trusting God and there's unbelief, if you've been lazy, I can help you with all of those things that are contributing to your anxiety and worry. 
And so if you if you're handling life in a way that honors God, uh, that's between you and your doctor whether you stay on the medicine. What I frequently find is when they're handling life in a way that honors God and they've understood how to do that, they frequently ask their doctors to help them get off the medicine. But that's between them and their doctor. The goal is to honor the Lord with our lives. Frequently, when I'm talking to people, they're already on medicine and they're still struggling. So the question is just, do you understand that the Bible does have answers for how to deal with these issues? But is there a biological component? I don't have to make a decision on that. I don't have to pass a judgment on it, but I do want them to be informed and know the side effects. I, I think definitely be under a doctor's care for getting on or off of anything. Um, and regardless, you need to handle life in a way that honors God and you can. And that's where a counselor can help you learn how to do that. And then you can decide. And I, I would imagine anyone who's on medication, they don't want to be on that. You know, it's kind of a last recourse. And, you know, I don't know. I I know personally when I've had health issues, I've noticed how it has affected my mood. And we know that 90% of serotonin is produced in your digestive system. So that if that's not working correctly, then you can imagine the domino effect on the rest of your body and mind. And like you said, it, it, it just makes things more difficult to take your thoughts captive and in that process, we, we're still responsible before the Lord to do those things. But I've heard of, you know, biblical counsel who will encourage someone to go get a physical and get some blood work done and get their thyroid checked and find out, is there, you know, a vitamin deficiency or is your thyroid not working? Cause that can have a huge impact on your mood. Absolutely. Yes. Are you drinking a lot of caffeine in the evenings and then you're not sleeping? But I have worked with people who, if you're not sleeping, it's hard to think rationally. So are there medical things we can do to help you sleep? Maybe, maybe not, but we should certainly explore all of those things that could be impacting your ability to think. Yeah, no, that's good. So Janet, you know, this podcast is specifically geared for single ladies and we have others that listen, but that's the majority of the audience. So as our world becomes increasingly unstable, single women especially can feel vulnerable and experience fears such as, what if I lose my job? Who's going to take care of me? Uh, What if my city becomes too dangerous for me? What if I die alone? What truths can you share to bring encouragement to single ladies? That is, that's so real. And I do think um, single, single people have been given a platform to really shine what it looks like to trust God. And, that, and it's not easy, but I think married people can not even always be aware of it, but be finding their security in something other than God. Um, And for a single person, they cannot as easily trust another person to be their security. We can still try to do that. We will try to get a best friend and cling and we can do those things, but you're being pushed toward the one who is your only true security. And when you're able to continue to fight to believe that and to live out of that, boy, that shines. That shines to a world that is looking for security. And so many women, we are looking for something so that we will feel safe and we will feel secure. And if we're single, then it might be the stability of my job. So then what if I lose my job? Um, And what if I am alone? And to know, number one, that is the purpose of the church body. We shouldn't be alone. We should, we should have community. If you're not in a church where you have community, I seek that out. Sometimes we don't have community because we're not making the effort, but we need to do that. We need each other. But you're being crowded back toward Christ. It's almost a friend of mine says, we have to get to where we're desperate for Christ. And when you're vulnerable and circumstantially, there are things to fear we get desperate for Christ, but that's not such a bad thing. That's actually a platform for you. And it, and it will help you deepen your roots in a security that cannot be taken away. And as you grow in that, 
wow, what a spotlight of hope um, that you can give to a world that is looking for hope, especially right now. And it really means saturating my mind on the character of God. I, I just met with someone today who has got some very painful things going on. And, and one of the things, as we talked, she said, you're right. I don't believe this about God. Now she knows it. She would pass a theology exam. She would teach it. But did she believe it? Well, what do we mean by that? If I, if I know it, how do, what does it mean that I don't believe it? I would just say, what is it that I saturate my mind with? Is she saturating her mind with what is true or with what if I'm alone? What if God doesn't give me the grace to do this? What if he doesn't take care of me? If I'm saturating my mind with that, I will be fearful. But as a single person growing, I love this. Elise Fitzpatrick says this in her book, Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety. How different do you think life would be if you and I had a clear and accurate view of God? That would be better than wandering in the fog of any incorrect perceptions we might have of God, wouldn't it? How would knowing him as he is, rather than how we suppose him to be, impact our struggles with fear and anxiety and worry? Knowing God as he is, is a mighty weapon in our ability to overcome fear. Fear invariably flows out of a blurred image of who God is and what he's like. And I think single woman, if you don't have a job, if you don't have a roommate, if there is not another human, if I have a right view of the God who is holding my hand, whose lap I am sitting in, who has said, Romans 8, nothing will ever separate me from him. Even in those situations, supernaturally, I can have a quiet soul. That's powerful. Thank you so much, Janet, for coming on today. And us has been fun. It's been good to get to know you. Yeah, I know. We've just just known each other's voices from listening to each other's podcasts. But <laughs> that's right. What a blessing to speak with you in uh, through Zoom. And I hope to have you on again if you're ever so willing in the future. I'd love it. Very practical wisdom, and I know it'll be a blessing to the listeners. So thank you. Thank you very much.